0: Theological education should be affordable Seminary students should not have to take out tens of thousands of dollars in student loans to train for the ministry At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, our students pay a base of $75 per credit hour and a $375 per semester fee For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org You are listening to Preaching and Teaching on the Man of God Network of podcasts. This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. Preaching is certainly serious work. First of all, because the preacher is speaking for God. And like the Apostle Paul said, who's who's ready for that? Who is sufficient for these things, he said. But the preacher represents God and he's got to speak as in the presence of God for God. But secondly, the preacher's job is made even more difficult or serious when you realize that he's preaching to people the truth that if they will receive it, it will save their souls. If they don't, they'll be damned forever. We're not just trying to convince someone to a political position when we preach or even when we witness. We are dealing with souls that never die. The body goes back to the dust we saw in our last sermon, but the spirit returns to God who gave it. Preachers dealing, preaching for the eternal God to immortal souls. And then the job is made even harder when the preacher realizes, if we believe the doctrine we studied this morning, which is biblical, total depravity, the preacher realizes that people don't want to hear it anyway. Because they love their sins. Well, the preacher Solomon knew all of these things. And his last exhortation, which we come to today, I hope that we will finish the book today. His last exhortation is calculated to do whatever he can in God's name and with God's help to bring men to the place that he himself had arrived at the place of God fearing wisdom that saves the soul. You see, the problem with preachers, at least that's what the worldly wise would say, the problem with preachers is they think everybody ought to believe just like they do. I plead guilty to that. We just studied a preacher last week, didn't we? Who, uh, when, when uh, one man, smirking, said, do you really think that this easily and in this short of time you're going to make me a Christian? And what did Paul say? Did Paul say, well, I'm not saying everybody should believe like I do. My religion may not be for you, but I'm hoping that it'll be for some people. No, he said, I wish everybody here in this room was exactly like I am. A humble, penitent believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The true preacher wants everybody to believe just what he believes. The true preacher is out to convert you. He's out to change you. He's not out to impress you or please you or just make you uh, agree in in part with the gospel, make you to become a religious person like the Pharisees we read about this morning. The true God-sent preacher is aiming to convert your soul, just like Paul was and like Solomon was. And while most worldlings would consider this arrogant and bigoted for to even think that the preacher wants everyone to believe just like they do. What an arrogant person. But I do. I'm not saying I want you to believe my opinion on every single peripheral thing in the Bible. But I am saying this. I want you to believe the same gospel I believe. Because if you don't, you're going to hell. Not because I believe it, because it's the only true gospel. I want you to believe that. And Solomon says, I want you to fear with a saving fear the same true God that I fear. Now, a false preacher doesn't care. There are preachers in this city today, they don't care if their people are converted or not. They're not converted themselves. Give them a paycheck and some popularity... Some affluence and applause, a salary, and some praises, and they'll be content with that. But they're hirelings. They don't care for the sheep. The true man of God has learned the truth that saves the soul, and he cannot be content unless he brings you to his own persuasion. That's what a preacher has to do. Well, Solomon was a true preacher. He he refers to himself as the preacher at the first of the book, and he refers to himself several times in the passage we're going to read today as a preacher. It's the Hebrew word. Two Hebrew words we should have learned, and one of them is the word Kohelet. It means a, a gatherer. Someone who gathers. Probably talking about a one who gathers an assembly and then addresses the assembly. So our translations, many of them at least, translate the Hebrew word Kohelet as preacher. Solomon was a true preacher. Now he had fallen. He had woefully fallen. But most people believe that he had been reclaimed and the book of Ecclesiastes, as I've told you before, is the record of Solomon's repentance and where it brought him. The book of Ecclesiastes is the sermon of a preacher who fell and then God raised him back up and as a result, this preacher is aiming at real conversion for those who are his hearers and the sooner they get converted, the better. That's why he's often addressing the youth. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. So, Keep that in mind, everyone here. If you're unconverted, as we go through the passage today, Solomon is after you. Whether you're young or old, he's after you. The true preacher is after you. He wants you to grow, as we just sung, weary of earth. Why do you think Solomon is so negative and to most people, would sound so pessimistic. He wants you to get tired of trying to find your satisfaction in the broken cisterns of this world. Get tired of it is what he's trying to do. And then become laden with your sin. He wants you to find that knowledge and fear of God that will prepare you for old age if you make it that far. And then death and then the judgment. And this epilogue, verses 8 through 14, some people think it was written by another hand. I suppose it was written by Solomon's. I'm not going to get into arguments and debates over that because ultimately, as we'll see, it was given to us by God himself. But Solomon's epilogue is his final conclusion. And as we'll see in this final conclusion, he makes one more attempt to bring the lost to where he is, God-fearing wisdom. In order to do this, he sets before them two things. So my sermon is divided into two points this morning. Two points that every witness who wants to be a persuader of souls and every preacher who wants to be a persuader of souls needs to be characterized by some degree by accuracy in these things. First, Solomon sets forth his credentials. Why should you listen to him? Why should we listen to you, Solomon? And then he sets forth his creed, what you should believe having listened to him. Let's read our text together, verses 8 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of, the wi- of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Well, first let's look at Solomon's credentials. And I'm going to skip over verse 8 just now. I'll come back to it later. But verses 9 through 12, we can find out that some things that Solomon said about himself. And the reason he's saying it is he knows there are going to be some cavilers out there. He's coming to the end of his sermon. He knows there are going to be some people who don't want to hear it and they're going to be looking for excuses not to hear it. And so he's, as it were, giving his credentials. Here's why. You should listen to me. There are going to be people out in the audience, as there are when any time we preach the Word, who are going to say, why should we listen to you, Solomon? You had a good time, didn't you, sowing your wild oats? You had your 1,000 wives, <coughs> or wives and concub- concubines collectively totaling 1,000. You went after false gods. Now, why are you trying to tell me how to live? Leave us alone. And Solomon is here trying to correct that attitude. And let's just remember, let's be reminded of this, beloved. The man who knows the evil of sin, once he has repented of that sin, may be the most qualified man to warn me to stay away from it. You know that? Be real careful. I know there are times when preachers erase all credibility. I understand that. But be real careful of writing a man off because of a flaw or writing him off because of a fall in his previous life. I want want Solomon to tell me about the emptiness of this world. I don't think anybody is better qualified than the man who studied... Everything there was to study. He pursued everything he could pursue and he came up with this conclusion. It's vanity. Wow, I don't want to be a person who says, Solomon, I don't care for anything you've got to say. Solomon, I want to hear what you've got to say because you've experienced the sin and the repentance and you're ready to tell me the truth. Somebody says, well, I wouldn't walk across the street to hear a preacher that's fallen into sin. Oh, yeah, well, listen to the scripture reading tonight. It's about a man named David and listen to what he did. And tell me then if you'd be willing to walk across the street to read the 51st Psalm. David repented and David said, If you'll restore me, Lord, then shall I teach transgressors your ways. And then what? Sinners will be converted unto you. Praise God that the Jonahs are sometimes spit out. They don't die in the whale's belly. They're spit out so they can go and keep doing the work. In these verses, Solomon tells why people should give him heed. And not only him, but he tells why people should listen to other wise men like him who fear God and who know the truth. He says, well, the words here sound a little bit arrogant. Is Solomon bragging on himself here? No, he's not. That's why he speaks in the third person. But it is true, while God's man must be humble and he must be modest, God's man has to have some confidence that he's speaking for God. God's man has to have some assurance of his calling. He's got to be aware of his duty. That's not pride. Just knowing that that God sent me to say something is not pride. It can become that if I forget who it is that sends me. But it's not that in itself. Now look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9 shows how strongly Solomon felt his responsibility to teach others. In addition to being a wise man, And he was a wise man. He was wise before his fall. He was even wiser after his fall. He was a wise man. But this wisdom, God didn't give him this wisdom just for himself. Same with us, brothers and sisters. I want to provoke us to be better witnesses. And those of us who are teachers and preachers, I want to provoke us to be better preachers. You seminary students, you're not learning this stuff just to fill your head with knowledge, are you? You want to teach others. So Solomon says, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. You see his responsibility there? I didn't get all of this wisdom just for myself, but having been given it by God, having learned it by bitter experience and by true repentance and by the true soul-saving fear of God, I now want to share it with other people. Of course, Solomon felt that way. How could he not feel that way? How can, listen, beloved, how can any saved sinner not be evangelistic? Are we going to fail? Yes, we're going to fail. Do we sometimes act like cowards? Yes. Do we sometimes just get plumb lazy? And when God gives us an opportunity to witness, we'd rather go sit on our sofa or something? But we've got to remember. That God gives us wisdom so we can teach other people knowledge. If you know God, God wants you to let other people know about Him. Because the withholding of saving knowledge is about as as inhumane thing as a person can do. You know that? What's worse? Letting Letting a person... Be blown to bits when you know there's a bomb in the building and you say nothing? Wow, that's inhumanity, isn't it? You know what's worse than that? Yeah, that person is going to die a physical death. But you know what's worse than that? Letting a man die and go to hell forever when you know how he can be saved. But you're not about to tell him that. Solomon was not like that. The withholding of saving knowledge is an inhumanity. You'll see a bulletin by W. Clarkson in, or you'll see a quote in your bulletin. When you have the gospel, uh, to know the gospel and not to speak it is a sin and a cruelty. When men are perishing for lack of knowledge, Solomon had the, he had the answer. Yes, he, he makes us know the problem, but he had the answer. And he says, I had to teach people. I had to let people know. And I just want to say this, beloved. um, Don't want to be unnecessarily offensive, but a Christian who doesn't care whether other people are saved or not is not much of a Christian if he's a Christian at all. A Christian who just doesn't care had better examine himself and see if he is what he claims to be. And a preacher who doesn't really want to see people saved needs to find another job because he's a hireling and God will judge him as a hireling. Well, Solomon goes on here to show at least three things that qualified him and otherwise men like him to preach the knowledge of God. And these three things should uh, cause his hearers, remember what he's trying to do, He's trying to win them over to listen. Give me a hearing. And the first thing is accuracy. The preacher and even the witness for Christ must be careful and certain to be accurate in presenting the truth. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people what? Speculation? cunningly devised fables, he taught them the true knowledge of God. He taught the people knowledge. And he didn't just find a sermon somewhere and preach it without searching it out. It says he pondered. The word means he weighed. Whatever, Whatever he's going to teach other people, he's going to weigh it for himself. And he's got to be firmly persuaded that it's the truth before he's going to try to preach it to somebody else. So he weighed it, he searched it out, and then he arranged many proverbs. He sought to find delightful words, and note this, to write, after he preached it, he wrote it, to write the words of truth correctly. Accuracy. Preachers, you must have accuracy. Witnesses, you must have accuracy. Here are some excellent instructions in our sermon today for aspiring preachers and I'm glad there are several in the audience. They're they're actually excellent for every preacher to remind himself of, even if he's 69 years old. The preacher's witness must be careful, or the preacher must be careful and certain to be accurate when he's presenting the truth. He must be sure he is teaching the true knowledge of the true God and not speculation and cunningly devised fables. (coughs) He must ponder the truth. He must weigh it out and make sure that what he preaches and what he writes down are words of truth correctly. Now here's the thing. How could Solomon be so sure? How can we be sure what we're preaching is the truth? Here comes the worldly wise man. He says, listen, there are hundreds and maybe thousands of different religions in the world. Are you going to tell me you found the right one? You found one and it's the only right one? It does almost seem arrogant, doesn't it? But that's what we're going to tell you. How can you be sure, Solomon? Well, Solomon tells us in verse 11, and verse 11 is an interesting verse. I hope I can give you some clarity on what this is saying. Actually, what Solomon is saying is, I know the truth because I got it from God. What we have in verse 11 is an Old Testament clar- uh, declaring of biblical inspiration. It's not as clear as 2 Timothy 3 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Not as clear as that. Not as clear as 2 Peter, is it chapter 1, that says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But it's clear enough, beloved, and especially when compared compared with the New Testament, it's clear enough to show us that Solomon wasn't just saying, I got this all by myself. He's saying, I got it from the one true shepherd of Israel. Look at verse 11. The words of wise men, like me, he's including us. He's not the only preacher out there. The words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. Now, get this last phrase. It's beautiful. They are given by one. But wait a minute. You said there there are men plural. You said there's more than one like you, Solomon. Solomon says, yeah, there's a whole lot of us out here telling the way to God. But we all got our message from the same source. They come from one shepherd. Now, the word shepherd... The Israelites knew what that meant. Jacob, their daddy Jacob, had confessed on his deathbed, God has been my shepherd all my life to this day. And Asaph sang in Psalm 81, O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. And Solomon was surely familiar with his dad's glorious work, the 23rd Psalm, Yahweh is my shepherd. And so when he says this, the Israelites knew what he was talking about. These truths come from one shepherd. Many people are preaching it. Many people may have written books about it. But we all have one source, and that's the true shepherd of Israel who leads his people like a flock. Do you see that? Do you see what he's saying? I hope that you do. It's an Old Testament declaration of the divine inspiration of Scriptures. Solomon's saying, look, there are other people besides me who are preaching this, and there are other people besides me who are writing the wisdom of God so that you can know it. And while there are many, many different authors, there is one real true author, and that's God Himself. And now, what we have in our Bible, beloved, we have over several, several hundreds of years... The opinions, or excuse me, the writings of many different men from many different walks of life. But when we get them all together, what do we have? What kind of a collection, to use Solomon's word, what kind of a collection do we have right here that we're holding in our laps this morning? The one shepherd, God Himself, has given us His truth. Listen, that's how I know that I'm right. It's not because I'm arrogant, but by the grace of God, His truth has come to me. It's right here in the Bible, plain as day. We are saved by the merits of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, who took our sins on Himself and died on a cross. And nobody can be saved unless they believe in Him. And that's the truth, people. That's the truth. I know it's the truth because I got it from the one shepherd who has made the truth known through many different prophets and apostles. And so Solomon says, you ought to listen to me because I got that message that came from the one shepherd. But then in verse 12, he warns that not only you should listen to him, you should be careful who else you listen to. Verse 11 and 12 again together. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They're given by one shepherd. But let me warn you, he says, beyond this, my son, you see the loving appeal here? He's talking to people whom he loved. Beyond this, my son, you need to be warned. The writing of many books is in Anybody can write a book. Anybody can preach a sermon. Anybody can give you a religious opinion. That's what Solomon is warning against here. This, the excessive devotion to many books is just the wearying to the body. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying that you should never read anything except Holy Scripture. He's just saying it's dangerous for you to open your mind to things that cannot help you but only harm you. He's warning. He's saying... Get your information from the one shepherd and watch out for all the hirelings who are writing it, who are writing other opinions. You say, oh, but I, I want to open my mind to, to the possibility of all the different religions. Why would you do that? Buy the, find the truth, buy the truth, and sell it not. Some foolish parents say, I want, I want my children to be exposed not only to truth and error, so I'm not going to strictly catechize them according to what the Bible teaches because I want them to make the decision for themselves. You are a foolish father. You are a foolish mother if you believe something like that. Solomon says, Watch out! All these other books and all these other opinions. Make sure that you're following the books that are written by the wise men who got their truth from the one shepherd. Because all these other things they'll do at the end of the day, they'll just wear you out. And they won't profit you anything spiritually. That's what he's that's the meaning of verse 12. Give yourself, Solomon says, to learning. Holy Scripture and the wise teachings of those who are grounded in the truth of the one shepherd. Give yourself to learning those things. Those things taught by many wise men. Well, no preacher today, and certainly not this one, certainly not any should, no preacher today can claim divine inspiration like the Bible. Bible We can and must be accurate according to the Bible. We have to know, we have to study, we have to search it out like Solomon did. We must be certain that our message is accurate according to the words of truth from the one shepherd. I do not want God to someday charge me with what he charged Job's three friends with. Remember that? Brothers, Job had to make a sacrifice just to get them off the hook because God was angry. God does not like to be misrepresented, beloved. And so we must make sure that when we represent him, God doesn't have to come to us and say, I'm angry with you because you have not spoken of me the thing that is right. You go to Job and let him make some sacrifices and then I'll forgive you. I don't want God to say that to me. May we all make sure Preachers, make sure we're preaching the God of the Scripture and the gospel of Scripture and the salvation of Scripture. And if you get the chance to witness, please do it, but make sure you're telling the truth about how men can be saved. Because men can't be saved except by the truth. They can't be saved by a false gospel, but only by the true gospel. Accuracy. Solomon says, listen to what I'm saying because I'm accurate. But secondly, the preacher here makes a claim to accessibility. And every true preacher must, like Solomon, make the truth accessible to the people. That's why Solomon took so much time, not only in learning the truth, but in set arranging it. Look at verse 9. The preacher taught the people knowledge, he pondered, he searched out, and then he arranged many proverbs. The proverbs were a succinct way to get the truth across to Solomon's generation. The Old Testament Jews loved Proverbs like the New Testament Jews loved parables. And so Solomon tried to make sure he spoke to, you don't think I'm stretching this, do you? He made sure he spoke to the people in their own language in something that they could understand. And yet, yes, to an extent, something that they would find acceptable and delightful. Wait a minute, preacher. You don't think it's all right for the preacher just to try to please men, do you? No, I don't. That's not what I'm arguing for. It's not what Solomon's arguing for. I think we've got a, we've got a, a message that is offensive to totally depraved sinners. But I'm saying this, try to present it in the best way possible. Okay? There's no need to unnecessary. Have you ever known preachers like this? I have. I think their goal when they get up in the pulpit is to make people mad. You'll do that enough without trying to do it. Just give them the truth. But try to find out if you know what? If you can find out a sweet way to say it, boy, do I need to work on this. If you can find out a sweet way to say the truth, say it sweetly. He said, "I sought out delightful words." And I said it, in a setting that was easily accessible to the people. Now Solomon could have impressed people. You know what? This guy was was not an intellectual slouch. People came, remember the Queen of Sheba, they came from all over the world just to sit down and be wowed by the wisdom of this guy. So Solomon could have impressed, but he says... That wasn't my goal. My goal was to make the truth clear and gettable by people who heard it. We must then. This is important for seminary students. It's not a big temptation for me to show off my learning. because There's just not much there except what I've learned in books from others and what God has taught me. But to a seminary student who's studying some of these things and I'm hearing on Tuesday nights sometimes in Pastor Sam's classes, let me tell you what, you're liable to get so full of knowledge that you get full of yourself, and you just want to impress somebody. You get a chance to preach, you want to use some big words. You want to impress somebody. Don't do that. Solomon did not do that. We must address our generation and and make things as plain as we can to the men of our time. It is never all right to be man-pleasers, but it is all right to find the best possible way to tell the truth. So the preacher, like Solomon, notice what he says, I sought to find out delightful words, but did he sacrifice the truth for it? No. Delightful words and words of truth correctly. So he wasn't about to compromise truth. I could not find where this came from, but years ago I read of a Puritan preacher, probably, um, maybe John Flavel. But he had, this preacher was well known, well, much used of God, and he had an opportunity to preach before, I don't know, I must, it's probably the queen, my, my memory is foggy, the queen and parliament, and so he brought, he delivered some, sermon that wowed all of them. And when the sermon was over, just the common, poor old man who was in the audience that day came up to Thomas Brooks, John Flavel, whoever it was, he came up to him and said, I came here today to get something for my soul. You sent me away empty. And it changed the way the Puritan preacher preached. He said, I'm not going to preach to impress people. I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach so that they know what I'm saying. I'm going to make the truth known. My dad used to say one of his pet peeves was when he would go to a conference and hear somebody preach, and there weren't but five men in the whole place who could understand what the guy was saying. And He said, every young preacher should have to take a kindergarten class for six months to a year and teach them before he tries to teach other people you know why? I'm indebted to Brother Tom for this quote that he gave me this morning uh, from from Charles Spurgeon. Christ did not say, feed my giraffes. He said, feed my sheep. I like that. Now, the giraffes can, can get them some food, some foliage off the high trees, but that don't help the sheep. Put it down there where the sheep can get it and let the giraffe bend his neck a little bit so he can get it also. Accessibility, but then thirdly, and I must hurry, the preacher must preach persuasively. We are not involved in a take it or leave it business. Sinners have to be changed. They don't need to be pleased, or they don't, yeah, they don't need to be pleased. They need to be persuaded. They do not need to be entertained, they need to be enlightened. Solomon says that the true goal of wise, accurate, accessible preaching is to get men moving in the right direction. He didn't lay it out there and say, take it or leave it, it doesn't matter. That's why he compares the collection of these wise sayings to what? A goad. A goad. That's, that's that sharp-pointed stick that you use for your oxen or your cattle or your sheep, and when they start heading towards the precipice where they're going to be wrecked and killed, you goad them back the other way. That's what preachers should do. You don't mind being goaded, do you? Especially if you're heading the wrong way. So if a man is on the broad way to destruction, Solomon says, I'm not just going to throw these maxims out there. I'm coming after him with my goad. I'm going to try to persuade him. Uh Uh-uh. That's the broad way that leads to destruction. Get back going over here in the the sure way. And then he says the masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They're given by one shepherd. Now, whether that's talking about the firm, fastened, steadfastness of the preachers themselves or whether it's talking about the goal of the preachers, what they want to do in the people who are hearing them, I frankly have to confess I am not sure. Both should be true. We cannot rest until you know Christ. Unconverted person, we're not going to rest until you know Christ. Parents, you cannot rest till your children know Christ, until they give some evidence of that. And then you know what you're going to do after we goad them? We're going to hammer the converting truth that got them in the right way and fastened them to Christ for the rest of their lives. Goat them and hammer them with the word of truth. Did I say that sweet enough? (laughs) That's what they need. We don't want you to turn back after you make a profession. We don't want you to turn back to the husk of this world. No, no. We want to nail you down in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you're no longer going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Well, I don't have near as much time as I'd like. But you know, the good thing about this is I've preached, I've preached this second point many times as we've gone through the book. The, the second point is Solomon, his creed. For one last time, he confesses his creed to them. And he begins in verse 8. And then he finishes it in verse 13 and 14. After he has stated his credentials, he gives reasons why his hearers should listen. Then he one last time tells them what they need to believe and tells them what they need to do. He tells them what the answer is. But before he does this, he first, he first reminds them of the problem. You know what I thought about when I studied this passage Solomon was a lot like the Apostle Paul. This Old Testament preacher, he believes in preaching the bad news so that he can give the good news. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. In Romans chapter 3 in verse 19, Saul, in the first actually three, three chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is just... He's just slaying us is what he's doing. He's leaving us all in the dust until finally at verse 19 he says, let every mouth be stopped. and All the world become guilty of God. That's the bad news. Guilty before God. But then Paul goes on, doesn't he, in the book of Romans to give us glorious news. But we need to hear both. So first, notice in verse 8, Solomon reminds them, of the bad news. The truth he started out with. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This makes number 35, number 36, and number 37 of the times that we have heard the second Hebrew word that every one of us ought to know right now. Habel. What does it mean? Vanity. Emptiness. Breath. Wind something that's empty and something that's fleeting. Now somebody says, Solomon, you're not going to come back to that same old thing. We hear the word habel 62 times in our Old Testament. You know how many times we hear it in the book of Ecclesiastes? 37 out of 62. You Talk about a preacher harping on something. He harped on it because he wanted to get it across. And now, one more time, when he's gone through everything in his book... He comes to the end and somebody thinks, well, well, maybe he's come off of that vanity of vanities thing that he started with in chapter 1 and verse 2. Solomon says, nope, nothing's changed. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Life is full of oppression and sorrow and dissatisfaction. And if you don't die young, then you get old. And when it's old, you get more dissatisfied. If you're without Christ and it gets harder and harder... And you can forget, for the most part, about repenting because you don't have a heart for it and you don't have a mind for it. And then eventually you wither up and you die and your spirit goes back to God. That's what Solomon says this world is like. Vanity of vanities. Somebody says, well, then I may as well give up on happiness and satisfaction. If you're looking for it under the sun, give up. That's what Solomon wants you to do. Solomon is not trying any more than Paul was in Romans 1 through 3. Solomon is not trying to drive us to despair so we will hang ourselves. He's trying to drive us to despair of finding anything good in this world for our souls. Solomon says, yeah, I want you to despair of yourself. I want you to despair of finding satisfaction in this toy and that toy and anything less than God Almighty. That's much of what the book has been about, folks. But the world, the vain world's not all the problem. You're the problem. God, Solomon says in, in chapter 7, verse 29, that the, God made men. This one thing I found out God made men upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Your problem, Mr. Drinking of the world's wells and eating in the world's pigsties, your problem is you've forgotten your Creator. That's why he tells us to remember Him. Your problem is forgetfulness of your Creator, and it's a major problem. Your problem is seeking pleasure in anything and everything but God, and that's a major problem. Your problem is the absence of the fear of God in your heart and in your life. And if you never get above that, vanity is all your life is ever going to be and empty and forsaken is all your eternity is ever going to be. But thank God there's good news. He tells us he reiterates the bad news in verse 8 and then he tells us the good news. You know there is a God... He'll let you fear Him. He'll let you love Him. He'll let you be made right with Him. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. So, that's my conclusion, Solomon says. As I said, He doesn't want you to despair. He wants you to despair of yourself. And just as Paul did not in Romans With chapter 3, verse 19, with our hands on our mouth and all of us laying in the dust guilty before God, Solomon doesn't leave us hopeless and helpless. He says there's a God, and if you'll reverence Him and you'll keep His commandments, you'll find the right way to live in this sin-cursed world. You'll find the satisfaction that this world can never give you. So Solomon doesn't end at chapter 12 and verse 8. He ends with a description of the one solution for a vain, sinful existence. And that solution is conversion. Coming to fear God in a saving way. I've defined the fear of God several times. But one more time I will tell you, the fear of God is coming to understanding that He is that he is awesome and great, that he is always present. You can't get away from him and that he's going to deal with you because he is your judge. That's what it means, the fear of God. But that's not all. I'd like to be able to tell you once more that the greatest element of what it means to savingly fear God is the wonderful, realization that he'll forgive you of your sins. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, how do you think you're going to stand? If God brings you to a strict account, how are you going to stand? If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? I'm finished. If God's going to treat me according to what I've done and what I deserve, I'm finished for all eternity. But, Praise God for Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be what? Feared. Not not, not that, not that you may dread God, but that you may come to reverence and respect Him. He's God. He's awesome. He's everywhere present. He's my judge, but He will forgive me. Oh, that's the good news. You can fear Him. You can apprehend the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross and rose again. And yet saving fear of God doesn't drive you away from Him in in terror. It makes you run to Him. Because He's got it. Did we sing about it? His His arms are wide open and He's saying, Come to me, come to me. You can run to Him and be forgiven. And the reason every person should do that, it's time for me to start skipping some things, is because God is going to judge everyone. So we end on verse 14. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. This belongs to all men. This applies to every person. Everybody needs to fear God. Everybody needs to repent. Everybody needs to believe It applies to every person because God is going to judge every person. You are going to stand before God. And everything that you thought you had hidden from view is going to be brought out to view. And even you righteous people who didn't even realize half the good works you were doing, they're going to be brought up as evidences that you did fear God after all. And as proof of that. Read some quote. Read the quote by Charles Bridges. If you're tempted to be scared of this day of judgment, read the quote by Bridges. I don't have time to read it just now. Let me give you just a few words of, of application. How rich the Word of God. Thank God for His Word. It's so rich. I, I hope we'll be encouraged to study it avidly and carefully. I'm going to have to tell you, when someone first suggested, and that's how I got to thinking about preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, I don't know if you've gotten anything out of it, but, but I know I have. But, and naturally, I'm going to get more out of it than you are because I'm spending hours every week studying it. But when somebody suggested it, I thought, whoa, I'm not up to that task. But, but I did it. I'm so thankful I did It's so rich. I haven't even scratched the surface of what's here. Brothers and sisters, the one shepherd has given us a book and it's all like that. We can't even scratch the surface, dive into it, study it, weigh it, ponder it. Learn enough of it to teach it to other people. It's one united collection. We've got all kinds of New Testament doctrine just in chapter 12. We have the immortality of the soul. We have the doctrine of divine inspiration of Scripture. We have the doctrine of the universal general call. This is what all men need to do. We have the doctrine of final judgment and everlasting rewards. Wow. The Word of God is full. Love it, brothers and sisters. Don't let it collect dust. Read it and study it and listen to it preached. Secondly, thank God for faithful preachers. Even today, there are some Solomons around who are taking care to be accurate to make the truth accessible, and doing all they can to goad you and persuade you to believe it. Thank God there are men like that. I thank God for CBTS. You know what? I'm not a professor there. I never will be. But I'm so glad to be part of a church that houses CBTS. Young men, young godly men, I respect these men. They're coming here to learn so they can be faithful, accurate Preachers of the Word of God. Thank God that there's a new generation coming up because some of us are getting ready to leave. And a new generation is coming because God is going to perpetuate his truth. Blessed be his name. And then lastly, do you fear God? Is Solomon's creed your creed? You fear him with the fear that has changed your soul, and all you want to do now is obey him then all praise to God because he taught you and drew you and made you what you are. May God make us all a people who, like Solomon, possessed saving, God-fearing wisdom. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word, and thank you so much for the study of this book. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, who inspired the book, will make it effectual in teaching us the lessons. Lord, please help us love the world less. And please help us cling to Christ more. And to find our soul's delight, not in the husk of the world, but in the glorious truth of our Savior. In his name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit CBTSeminary.org.